and welcome to another podcast by BNP Paribas Wealth Management. My name is Charlotte de Capoisson. Today, we're going to talk about raw materials and focus on an increasingly important sector, rare metals. In a previous podcast, we discussed the need to move towards more energy efficiency. The emergency of climate change and rising energy prices has highlighted our dependence on certain strategic raw materials, such as oil and gas. Moreover, this has revealed the need for countries to adapt their policies by turning to other sources of energy, such as electricity and renewable energies. The development of technologies and the energy transition are leading countries around the world to look at other essential raw materials used in everyday objects, such as smartphones and computers. Yes, we are talking about rare metals, and this is the topic of today's podcast. With me today is Edmund Shing, Global Chief Investment Officer at BNP Paribas Wealth Management. Edmund, can you remind us in more detail why electricity and renewables are, are a strong driver to help us achieve greater energy security? Yes, Charlotte. To put it simply, since the outbreak of the Ukraine war and the imposition of sanctions on Russia as a result, we have seen fossil fuel prices, notably petrol, diesel, and of course, natural gas prices surge as the supplies from Russia have been reduced dramatically to the West. So we've seen all of these prices go up sharply. And why is that? That is because we see a limited supply from, for instance, the OPEC plus countries. Now, why does a move to electricity and renewables help the West? It helps the West because we can achieve a lower dependency on fossil fuels, particularly, as I said, gas, diesel and petrol. And as a result, we improve our energy security because we depend less and less on supplies, particularly from Russia. And of course, if you think about renewable energies in particular, these are then domestically positioned. This is why these types of energy supplies have become more and more important. We are trying to achieve here two goals. Firstly, to achieve greater energy security, greater control over the energy that we need ourselves and that supply of that energy. Secondly, of course, we are looking to accelerate the energy transition to reduce carbon emissions, to reduce the impact on the environment overall. So by moving more towards electricity and renewables and away from fossil fuels, the idea is clearly to achieve these twin objectives. So thinking about storing energy, can you explain how and why we can do this? Yeah. So if we talk about renewables in particular, and therefore talk about solar panels and wind power, clearly there's a very strong weather element. You need the sun to shine or the wind to blow to generate the electricity. The question then becomes, what do we do when we need electricity and the wind isn't blowing and the sun isn't shining? Well, obviously, the answer is you need to store electricity uh, for the times when you still want to use electricity, but when renewable sources are not generating it. And <clears throat> up to now, we have depended for the, what we call this peak load, this, these times on production and generation of electricity using natural gas, burning natural gas to turn the turbines Turning these turbines then generates the electricity, which we then use. However, of course, as we said, we don't want to be reliant on natural gas from Russia. So the solution, therefore, for peak load is to be able to supply electricity at any time of the day. And that means storing it. And that means storing how? Well, there are various ways to store it. One way, which is actually very effective, 
is by pumping water up a dam to store it for then release when you need the water later. So effectively use the water which is behind a hydroelectric dam as an effective massive natural battery. And then of course, when you need the electricity up, you then release some of the water which turns the turbines in the hydroelectric dam, produce the electricity when you need it. However, that works when you have lots of hydroelectric dams and lakes, therefore and mountains. If you don't have these geographical features, then you need another way to store the electricity. And one of the obvious ways to store it in large quantity is via large scale industrial batteries. And that's where we come into talking about battery metals. Now, not only do you need the battery metals for these massive industrial batteries to store the electricity that's generated by renewables for later use, but also, of course, if we're talking about the energy transition and electric vehicles, we need to bear in mind that one of the principal components of the vehicle that, that represents about half the cost of production of, of an electric car is, of course, the battery. And that contains lots of battery metals, which is why we then focus on this subject, because instead of depending on fossil fuels, on these resources, we depend on different resources, typically the battery metals. In which countries are all these rare metals extracted and what are the major exporting countries? <clears throat> well, I mean, I'm not going to go through the whole com comprehensive list, but to give you some examples, if you think about the batteries we're talking about, they're typically lithium ion batteries, the type that you find in your smartphones, in electric cars, and of course, as I said, in large scale industrial storage batteries. One of the main components is clearly lithium. This is actually not that rare a material, but it's still quite difficult to mine and refine. You will find production facilities for lithium in areas such as Chile, China, Australia. But interestingly, a lot of the refining and the processing of lithium is actually done in China. So even if the basic ore containing the lithium may be mined in Chile or Australia, it will typically end up in China for processing and turning into a battery. Equally well for nickel, you will find again that some of the sources for nickel are the same. Again, they tend to be places like Australia, they may be Indonesia. But again, a lot of these metals will end up for processing, refining and turning into batteries in China. Actually, it's quite interesting to note, Charlotte, that China is very important for the production of not just electric batteries, the lithium ion batteries, but also, of course, for solar panels. So if we're talking about the energy transition, China becomes a key strategic supplier to the world of these types of energy transition components. When we look at the environmental consequences, do electric cars have a smaller environmental footprint than vehicles with petrol and diesel engines, do you think? Well, clearly the whole idea is that we stop using as much fossil fuels as we do at present. So less particularly diesel, diesel and petrol. Of course, the environmental impact of using electricity instead of those is in theory better, so long as the source of that electricity is not generation via natural gas or coal you know, via power stations. So if we are generating this electric via renewables or nuclear, or even through biomass, then you could argue clearly then from the fuel itself, the environmental footprint of electric vehicles will be of course far lower than for the conventional engine cars of today. However, you then also need to take into account the environmental cost of building, of, its, of constructing the vehicle. And it's there where it's less obvious, because clearly the initial environmental cost of putting together an electric vehicle is, I think, higher than for a conventional vehicle, for the simple reason that the battery and the cabling related to the battery is going to consume a lot more of these battery metals. And these need to be mined, refined, processed. There's a lot of environmental impact in terms of the mining 
in terms of the energy required, not only to mine them, but then to process and refine them and make the batteries, for instance. And so there are, I have seen arguments from a number of brokers that suggest that for a, an electric vehicle to really have a lower environmental impact overall over the life of the vehicle, both in terms of the construction of the vehicle and then the fuel it uses, you would need to drive something like 40 to 50,000 kilometers a year, whereas the average European motorist drives more like 14 or 15,000 kilometers a year. So it's, it's an open question, and it's not as clear as you might think at first, at first glance. In the face of these developments, will supply and demand for lithium, cobalt and nickel continue to explode? I think that's quite clear because whether you like it or not, electric vehicles are going to be probably the vehicles, at least of the near future. The European Union has already committed to phasing out the sale of conventional engine vehicles in the next couple of decades. And so clearly the intention here is to move to electric vehicles. To that end, the demand for lithium, cobalt, nickel, copper, for instance, is forecast to increase dramatically over the next 10, 20 years. Just to consider one point, you use four times as much copper in producing an electric vehicle because of the cabling and so on than in a conventional vehicle. So that means something like 150 kilos of copper per electric vehicle versus more like 40 kilos per conventional engine vehicle. So the more electric vehicles we make and buy, the more copper we're going to need. And uh, it's not evident to me that we're going to see in the near term an expansion of the supply of copper. I don't see many more copper mines being put in place. So that suggests that there will be a bit of a squeeze on the supply of these critical battery metals going to the future, as it seems to me quite clear that the demand is going to go up a lot over the next uh, couple of decades. Quite a challenge then. Edmund, how can people invest in rare metals? Well, there are two ways that I would suggest you could invest in in this theme. The first, and they're both involved using funds or exchange traded funds. The first way would be obviously to buy exposure to the commodities themselves, the battery metals. You can do that. You can buy funds which are exposed to battery metals as a whole in a diversified fashion, or even to single battery metals if you're that way inclined. There are ETFs that are exposed to the physical nickel price, the physical copper price, and so on. And these are all available in USIT's ETF format. The second option, which is actually the one I prefer, would be to invest in the companies, the commodity producers, the companies producing these battery metals, which tend to be global mining companies. So a fund or an ETF investing in these mining companies would seem to me to be probably a good idea for the long term. Why is that? Because clearly, if demand is going to go up and supply is going to struggle to grow in the same way, that suggests that prices for these battery metals should stay high, which means profit margins for these mining companies should also equally well stay sustainably high and therefore the cash flows will be strong and we know today that a lot of these mining companies already generate a very high dividend yields thanks to the very strong cash flows that they generate so again going forwards this might be a good good sector to continue to invest in and therefore a fund or etf investing in these commodity producing companies would seem to me to be a, a good suggestion there are plenty of those about as well that was very informative Edmund Shing, thank you very much And I would like to thank our audience for listening to this podcast. Please like, share and subscribe to all our podcasts on the BNP Paribas Wealth Management channel available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts or Podcast Addict. Goodbye.